All right, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles. Go to Ephesians chapter three. Ephesians chapter three. Listen, if the power is out, like we don't have the sound system next Sunday, we'll let you know. Bring marshmallows. We'll put a little campfire in the middle. It'll be awesome. Like seriously. (laughs) All right, somebody likes that. (laughs) All right, Ephesians chapter three. We're gonna be starting in verse 14. I don't know about you, but do you ever read God's word and you read promises in God's word and, and, and you wouldn't want to say it out loud. You wouldn't want to admit it in church, but there's this feeling of, man, I, I don't know if I really believe that promise. It's, it's hard to get my, my heart and my head wrapped around what's being promised in this verse. One of my favorite verses is 2 Corinthians 1.20 that says that all the promises of God are yes Find their yes in Jesus. So, so that when you're reading through God's word and you, you come across a promise that's applied properly in context, this promise, like, that promise is true for me? You think about what Paul's been doing in this letter to the Ephesians. The whole first half of this letter is him just laying out promise after promise, saying, this is who you are in Christ. All these promises are now yours in Jesus. And and there's a a theological truth to that, that we go, yeah, I, I understand the theology of this, but to actually grab a hold of it and really believe it? Like when God says, call unto me and I'll answer you and I'll show you great and mighty things. Do I believe that? That sounds amazing, but by God, is that really for me? Or you hear, my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. And you're like, that's a nice sounding promise. But can I really bank on it? And there's a promise we're going to read in this this passage this morning. Look, Look at verse 20. There's two little words in verse 20 that completely mess me up. That I'm like, are you for real, God? Look at verse 20. It says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work. And if I stop there, I'm like, yeah, I could see that. God would have all this power. He could do far more than we ever could think or imagine or, or pray about even. He says, all that power I, for sure. But look at the next two words. Within us. That there'd be power at work within us, within the church. There'd be this power at work. I mean, like, is that true? Like, how, how does that happen? So let's unpack that promise in the context of these verses and see the, the amazingness of this incredible promise for us. Look at verse 14. Let's read this together. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Now everything Paul's been unpacking leading up to this prayer, all all he's been talking about, he's been describing the rewards of a Christian. Up until now, there there aren't any commands. It's just this promise after promise, just laying out this is what it looks like to be a Christ follower. 
He's already said to us that you're, you're blessed with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly. You're chosen, you're, you're holy, you're blameless, you're adopted, you're predestined, you're accepted, you're the beloved, you're redeemed, you're forgiven, you're abounding in wisdom and knowledge, you're, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, you're, you're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. You're in the family of God. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And now he stops, verse 14 says, for that reason, because of who you are in Christ, because of all those resources you have. And listen, there is, there's nothing worse than a, a Christian with all this power just sitting there. It's like, it's like owning a Lamborghini and never going over 50 kilometers an hour, right? What are you doing, right? Paul's saying, I'm, I'm praying to our Father that you would know the fullness of this power and that you would see it released in our church, released in your life. And you see right away the, the resource we have just in Paul's first phrase. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. In the verses before that, he talked about the boldness we have to access the Father to go into the throne room of the king of the universe. We, we can have a boldness. We have that access. And now he says, he, he makes it even more astounding because he says, you have access because you're praying to your father. Before Christ, in the, in the old covenant, you didn't have that kind of access. In the, in the temple, there was a curtain that separated us from the holy of holies, the, the manifest presence of God behind that curtain in the holy of holies. And, and, and when Jesus pushes up on, on his nail-pierced feet on the cross, when he says, it is finished, an earthquake just rolls through Jerusalem and the curtain tears in two from top to bottom. No longer separated from God's presence. And now people like you and me, like nobodies. We have a confidence. If you put your hope in Christ, if you, if you, if you follow Christ, you, you have him as your Lord. Now, now this, this king of the universe sees you as his son and daughter. And that changes everything. Like any good dad, you have access to them, right? Libby and I, just this last week, we were over at somebody's house and they have all adult children now, but they were just talking about their kids and, and just things they're doing and how they're still caring for them. It, it got me scared. I'm thinking, I mean, when they leave the house, they really don't. But <laughs> just all the things they were caring for their kids still and they still have access to their parents. Now, now imagine if late one night, I call this couple up. I'm like, oh yeah, look, look I know it's super late, but... Um, could you wire me some cash? Like how, how weird would that be, right? I don't have that kind of access to them. If you have little kids, you, you know this, right? They can bug you at all times of night for the, for the weirdest of, of requests, right? Now imagine me coming into your bedroom at 2 a.m., right? Can I have a drink of water? What? How did you get in here? Get out. Like it wouldn't go well, right? And I hear we're told we have that kind of bold access that we call out to God as our father. Look at what Paul's praying for us in verse 16. That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. 
He's praying for this power that you come into God's presence and you ask for this power and a power that comes from God. It says here, according to his riches. He used the same phrase in verse seven of chapter one where he talks about the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. In Philippians four, Paul says the same thing. My God shall supply all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ. God's grace, God's power is given according to his riches. Now listen, that's important. He, He gives according to his riches, not out of his riches. Those are two different things. To give out of his riches means, hey, I've got a lot, I can give you some. To give according to your riches, you give what's fitting with your riches. Where where the amount given would be, yep, that makes sense because of how rich he is. Let let me give you an an illustration to to, to drive this home a little bit. If if you were to ask a super wealthy person, you go to them and say, hey, hey, I, I need $500 and they say, no problem, I'd love to help, and, and they give you $10, they've given out of their riches, right? But not according to their riches. If you went to somebody and said, hey, I need $500, there's a, a deep need I have, and that person, super wealthy, gives, writes you a check for $5,000, they've now given according to their riches, not just out of their riches, And God never gives out of his riches. He gives according to. As rich as he is, that's as rich as he gives. And so out of that abundance, Paul says, man, I pray that you'd be strengthened with power in your inner being. According to his riches, that much power in your inner being. Your inner being, that's the center of who you are. That's the core of you that that's where the gospel would begin to change you and transform you in your inner being. Think of it this way. All all the things you've experienced in your life, all the words that have been said to you or over you, the the really amazing things said to you and over you, the the very hurtful and damaging things said to you and over you. Maybe it was your parents or, or teachers or just significant people in your life and you take all of those things. How do they shape your inner being? What comments, what words, what experiences stick really deep into the core of who you are? They, they carry a weight for you. They, they, they control how you see life, how, how you see your world around you, how, how you view yourself. We live out of how our inner being has been shaped. And Paul's praying this. He's praying the powerful truth of the gospel would speak the loudest to your inner being, would change your inner being. Look at verse 17. It says, why is that? How how does the inner being, how are we changed? He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Your, Your inner being is strengthened, is transformed, is changed when Christ dwells in your inner being, when when he makes it your his his home. So you can think of your heart or your inner being as as a house, and 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 the question would be, is Jesus at home there? Not does he reside there, is he at home there? When you start to think of your life as a house, what, what needs to be cleaned out? Maybe it's some places where Jesus is pressing in on the, on the home of your heart, of your inner being, and he's saying, hey, hey, this needs to go. 
Where does this word need to take deeper root? What, what part of your inner being is, is maybe like that, that one room in the house where you're saying, yeah, nobody goes in there. Listen, Jesus, you've got everything else in my life, but, but, but not this. I'm holding on to this. I'm holding on to this bitterness. You can't take this. I'm gonna hold on to this lust. You, you can't come into this room. I'm gonna hold on to this unforgiveness, this, this control, this invasive thought, this word spoken over me. I'm not letting this go. I can't. And Jesus is coming in to your home of your heart, of your life, and he's saying, listen, I wanna take care of that. I wanna take care of the shame. I wanna take care of the insecurity. I wanna take care of the anger and the compulsions and the pride. And, and Jesus promises, verse 17, that, that instead of, of that shaping your inner being, that you would be what? It says, rooted and grounded in love. That the bottom of your joy, the, the foundation of your hope would be the gospel. That your, your life would be so rooted and grounded in love. He's praying the power of the Spirit would be at work that would deepen your relationship with Jesus in such a way that you're immovable. That no matter what happens out there, that your heart has roots that go so deep into the gospel, you're not shaken by what's out there. The foundation now is no longer your circumstances, but it's the, the truth that you are loved and accepted by the sovereign, holy God of creation. Listen, if you're new to this whole Christianity thing, this promise is for you. And I mean, I hope and pray that God would open your eyes and you discover for the first time that, that, that you are who he says you are. When you believe in him, that, that when he went to the cross, that counted for you, that he could dwell in you. Or maybe you've been doing this for a long time, like you were in Sunday school with Moses, right? Like your, your Bible is wore out. You're, listen, listen, listen. God isn't finished with you either. I mean, Paul here is saying that you would be continuously be rooted and grounded. The, the words there of, of be rooted and grounded, it's, it's a, a word that would give this uh, indication that it was a once and for all past act, that it's happened for you, but it's an, also an ongoing. Continue to be this way. Continue to, to place your life in that. Keep on being rooted and grounded in love. Because here's the thing, you, you can hear the truth of the gospel, the love and grace and power of God that's yours out of the abundance of his riches, but, but at the same time, we can be putting our roots into other places, other words, another standard of evaluation. But to have Christ dwell in your inner being, to, to know the love of Christ deeply, to be filled with the fullness of God. It isn't an automatic thing. We don't come already pre-downloaded with all of this truth in us. We need to take the, the truth of God's love, the truth of his glory, and, and have it rooted deeply in us. And it happens as we're in the word, as we're connecting with others in our, in our life group or, or those around us who are also pointing us to the truth of God's word, as we're praying by the power of the Spirit, Lord, I wanna see who you are more clearly. It doesn't happen automatically, though. I heard someone say it this way. If, I think I've made this illustration before as well. If, if you have an iPhone, it comes pre-downloaded with its iOS, right? The, the, the operating system is already in your phone. 
You turn it on, it just walks you through the steps, right? Like you have no clue. You do not need to be a computer genius to own an iPhone, right? I mean, you open it up and it says, welcome in a bunch of different languages, right? And it has like the, are you dumb? Yes, I am. Press the button here. And then it does it all for you, right? That's not how it works with our inner being. That's not how it works with us. We don't come pre-downloaded with an operating system. It needs to be downloaded into us. You have to have the word deeply rooted into your inner being prayerfully by, by the power of the spirit that God's glory and God's grace and his words would carry more weight in your heart than anything else. So let me ask you, is Jesus the root and the foundation of your inner being? What carries the most weight for you? Is it what others have said about you in your past? Is it what social media says about you? Is it what you think is the standard? Are those things more controlling than what God says about you? Because this is where Paul drops to his knees with this desperate prayer for the spirit to do a work because our inner self, actually, it isn't just that you don't have the operating system downloaded. Scripture would say that our inner self is already bent. It's broken, broken by sin. And then, then our soul's being broken, surrounded by a world that is broken. And the Spirit wants to do this work in our inner being, in this, this deeper place of who we are. And so Paul's praying, God, make it so. This is my prayer for us as a church, that, that we'd have this kind of expectant prayer with a hope that, God, you promise you can do this. Paul's going to take the rest of this letter of Ephesians. He's going to unpack, hey, here's how you live out the Christian faith in your, in your marriage. Here's how you follow Jesus with your parenting. Here's what it looks like in your workplace. Here's what it looks like to the world. But all that comes after this prayer after you've been rooted in the gospel, where, where your prayers go deeper than just, oh, I hope I have a, a nice looking family. I, I hope I get a, a good job and a great retirement. Everything goes, no, 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 no. When we start with this prayer, we begin to pray bigger prayers. We begin to pray for more. Look at what we're praying for. Look at verse 18. It says in verse 17, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. That's Christ followers, right? That's a, that's, that's a word for those who know Jesus, all the saints. What is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Paul's praying this prayer and we should pray it too. God, I want to comprehend this. Another way to say that I want to grasp this. Uh, more than just know it mentally, but that, that there'd be something that I would be able to, to know this deeply. In fact, that fact, when Paul's saying this prayer that you would comprehend, there's, there's a way of, of where this word is used where it has this idea of breaking down walls in a castle. You're trying to win a city and you've got to break down these walls. That, that's the idea of, that you would comprehend that, that these walls would be broken down, that the, the truth of God would, would so explode in your inner being that it would overtake the core of who you are. So it isn't just a, a little mick prayer we throw up on the way to work. It isn't just a, a small, quick thing. This is us leaning in, breaking down castle walls in our soul. 
We're dropping to our knees. We're reading and meditating on God's word. We're reading it over and over again. We're, we're asking questions. We're memorizing it. We're meditating on it. We're praying. We're calling out. And, and by his grace, in his time, by the power of his spirit, you press in until God breaks down those walls. And you see Jesus differently. You see him more clearly. You begin to see the breadth and the height and the width and the depth of his love to the place where, where it begins to even surpass knowledge, Paul says. You gotta understand something. Paul was, was a smart guy. He went to the Harvard of Pharisee schools. He, he wrote most of the New Testament, but he's like this. He's like, hey, hey church, there's this whole love of God thing. It, it's even beyond knowledge. He's like, I can't get my head wrapped around it. Now, don't get me wrong, theology matters. Knowing the truth of God's word is important because you can't rightly love somebody when you have wrong thoughts about them, right? If I were to write a love song for Libby, and it would be awesome, by the way, really, it would be. <laughs> but if I started out and the first line was how I'm mesmerized by, by her brown eyes, she would not like that love song, right? Why? Because she doesn't have brown eyes. She'd be like, who are you singing to? You're not singing it about me. So, so right theology matters, right? We, we need to understand God's word rightly. We need to understand who God is. But, but that right theology, it doesn't end there. It's, it's to take us to a place where our hearts are filled to, to know in a deeper way the love of Christ that surpasses even knowledge. If you love somebody, you don't just want to know facts about them. You want to know them. You want to spend time with them. And, and there's a love that you have for them that you can't even put into words. And I'd say it this way. When it comes to the gospel, yeah, yes, the gospel is true. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. On the third day, he was resurrected. There's, there's all kinds of evidence for that resurrection. It's true. The gospel is logical. It's so logical to, to put your life and your hope here. Why? It's logical because hell is hot. Forever's a long time, right? Following Jesus, is, is, it goes better for you. So there's a logic to it. it it's, the gospel is so practical. You can't pay for your sin. Jesus says, I will. I'll take the full payment and I'll give you all of my riches. It's an astounding deal. And even though the gospel is true, even though it is so logical and practical, if that's all you know it as, you don't actually know the gospel because the gospel is also beautiful. I mean, who are we that a, a king would leave his throne to come on a rescue mission to save us? Again, think of it in a, in a, in a horizontal relationship. It, it's, it's true that I'm married to Libby. It's unbelievably practical. If you know me, it's very practical that I'm married to Libby. My life's far better than, a, than, than in, in a million different ways. It's, it's logical that I would love her, but none of that is the driving force in a relationship of love. I just love her, I, and I can't explain it. And, and so, so the gospel is not just the facts of what happened. Uh, of course, it is, it's rooted in history, but the gospel's so much bigger than that. The gospel is awe-inspiring. The gospel is the, is the love of God through Christ. It's, it's God's love put on display. It's, it's the person and work of Jesus Christ. It's, and, and as the church, we're, we're to declare that. We're to demonstrate that love, that, that, that beautiful gospel, right? It's what we've been called to. 
to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that, that we'd be filled with the fullness of God, the, the, the love of God, the breadth, the length, the height, the depth. Paul's saying, listen, it's beyond all comparison, so let me, let me try to, to, to try to give measurement to it, but I can't give measurement because it's beyond measurement. But what do we do? We want to look at that measurement. Anyway, we want to go, how, how deep is it? How wide is it? How high is it? How long is it? And, and we're going to spend all eternity contemplating this, this love and grace. And Paul's saying, hey, start now. Start that journey now. Start thinking about the breadth of, of God's love for you. Revelation 7, 9 says this about the breadth of the gospel. It says, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb. That's the breadth of the gospel. You think about the length of his love. Jeremiah 31, 3 says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. That's before you began and into eternity. That's the length of God's love. Think of the depth of God's love. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrated his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, Christ, Christ died in our place, bearing the shame, the cruelty, the sin, the death. Why? Why? Because of his deep love for you. Look at the height of his love. His love didn't just save you, but his love transforms you. 1 John 3, 1 says, see what kind of love the Father has lavished on us, given to us, that we would be called the children of God. His love's incredible. And here's where it leads. Look at verse 20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever, Amen. He says, not, now to him who is able to do far more, to him. So it's, so it's not, not based on us. It's not, it's not our strategy. It's not our talent. But to him who is able to do what? This is unbelievable. Far more than we ever could ask or think. I mean, I was thinking about our church just this week as we're planning on going to a second service. And I'm just thinking about all that God's done. And we've seen countless lives changed, right? People saved. People sent out on mission. Churches planted, marriages restored, prodigals coming home, addictions broken, lives healed. We, we divide our, our Muskoka church into two towns and then two locations and then we're already adding another service here. And I sit back and I think, man, how did all of this come about? We were a tiny group of people in a living room just hoping God would do something. And if you've been with us for the years we've been at church, we have stumbled and bumbled our way through this thing and yet God continues to show up. But even in all of that, here's what I'm wondering. He says that he'll do far more. What if we're not believing God for enough? What if God's saying, I can do more than that? Like, what does that look like in your life that God would say, I, I wanna do more? What's that look like for us as a church? What does it look like for us throughout our town that God would say, I can do more? And here's what's crazy about it. It says, it's those two words again. He, he, he's gonna show us this power abundantly at work within us, within the church. That word there, that word of power that's at work within us through Christ, it's the Greek word where we get our word dynamite from. That's the kind of power he's talking about here. By show of hands, how many of you have ever worked with dynamite? Anybody? Right, the person with three fingers missing. It's like me, that's me, right? <laughs> when I was in college in my first year, I, was, I went to a school in just outside of Nashville, Tennessee, and there was this dude there who went to the church that we went to. His name was Bubba. 
He was uh, just a teenager, right? Maybe like 19, but um, Bubba. And he, when you think Bubba, that's him, all right? The picture you've got in your mind, you nailed it, right? And then he asked me one day, hey, hey, Kai, would you, uh, would you well, hey, Kai, would you want to come help me blow up a beaver dam? <laughs> I'm like, well, there are some things you do not need to pray about, right? I'm like, ah, yes, right? Blowing stuff up, that sounds awesome. So we jump into his pickup truck and we're heading to this farmer's uh, field where, where the beavers have been wreaking havoc on his fields and, and we're there and I look in the back of this guy's pickup truck and just in this box, I mean, there's just these sticks of dynamite, right? I mean, it looks straight out of Dukes of Hazard. Like that's completely what it is, right? If you're too young for that, I don't know, the Dukes were missionaries back in the 80s. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so here we are in the truck. And I also, also thought of this. If your name is Bubba, right, the odds of you having dynamite in the back of your pickup truck are exponentially higher than the rest of us, right? And so we're rolling out. We get to this farmer's field, and there's this huge beaver dam. And so he has hip waders. We, we go out into the water. We're sticking these sticks of dynamite into this beaver dam. And he runs this little wire. Now, honestly, I thought, are we going to shoot these with one of the guns from his truck? No, he has a wire and everything and the, the cool little plunger you would see in the movies. And we go, and he's like, you want maybe want to hide behind the pickup truck? Yes, I do. And poof, he doesn't, and I don't know if you ever saw something blow up underwater, but it's just this, whoa, the ground shakes, and then it's, it's, it's sticks and trees and beaver parts and water just everywhere. And I'm like, this is the greatest day of my life. <laughs> Listen, that, that power is nothing compared to the power of God at work. The power of God that brought Jesus from the grave and resurrected him forever and ever. The, the power of God that put death to death. The power of God that takes all our sins and wipes them away forever and ever. The power of God that takes the perfect righteousness of Christ and imputes it into your soul where there's nothing that can take it away from you ever. The power of God that takes nobodies and screw-ups and transforms them into ministers of the gospel into our community and into the nation. The power of God that breaks addictions, that restores relationships, that heals physical ailments. That's the power of God. It's incredible. Amen. And my favorite part, at work within us, it's not some power out there. It's not hidden behind a curtain in the holy of holies. It's a power at work in us, in the church. And he's saying, I'm using my church to display this power. And I, I think about that. And the, why those two words blow me away is I'm thinking, God doesn't need us. I heard somebody say this, the church is kind of just this really big bring your kid to work day kind of thing, Right? Where God our Father is saying, I don't know, have you ever had your kids where, where you're going to do something? Maybe you're a dad and, and your wife says, hey, why don't you take one of your kids along with you and they can help you out. And what's your first thought? <sighs> it's not gonna help. <laughs> right? And so what does God do? He has this cosmic plan for the universe. He looks at us, his kids, and he says, come on, wanna help me with something? Like, what are we gonna do? The redemption of the world. And that's what God's doing right now to him who is able to do more than whatever we could ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be the glory in the church. That's where this happens. He's calling us to be a part of this. To him be the glory. When you get to the end of all this and what's the result of all of this, when Paul says to him be the glory, it, picture what you do at a sporting event. 
It's hardwired into each of us to give glory to, to someone or something. We were created as worshipers. We're, we're created to, to have a hero to brag about. And so when, when Paul's ending off this whole thing and he's saying to him be the glory, picture Paul in prison, chained up, but still raising his hand saying, to God be the glory. That's our hope. In, in the midst of our trials, when, when things are unsure, when we're wrestling with our heart and our thoughts, our hope is that, God, you're greater. You carry more weight. What you say about me is what's important. What you say about who you are. And we have access to the Father who can do more than we ever asked or imagined. Who loves us more than we ever could fathom. We have a hope and a power that's big enough to see us through, so we respond in worship. As Eric comes up and we end off this morning, I don't know if you guys are following on social media what's going on at this college called Asbury College. Um, in the 70s, a revival broke out in this college, and it was really the fuel of what was called the Jesus Movement back in the 70s, where, where churches were planted, missionaries were sent out, ministries were started. Well, in this same college, Asbury College, it's happening again right now. Um, in the midst of a revival. They had a chapel service, a very simple chapel service, and it just wouldn't end. They just kept going. And, 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 and just worship happening, God's word being proclaimed, people confessing sin, getting their life right. And my question as I'm watching this go on, I'm thinking, what about here? What about us? I mean, are we praying for that? Are we praying for that kind of revival in Huntsville? We'd say, God, we want more than we ever could imagine or even ask, God, that you would do something. Like, could God not turn our town upside down so thousands respond to the gospel? I believe this, that in the history of our church, God's already done abundantly more than we ever could have imagined, but why not more? Why would we not ask for more? But Paul's saying, ask God for more. Like when we come to God and we say, God, I want you to, do, to, do, to move in my marriage. And God says, I can do more. God, I want you to move in my kids. I can do more. God, I want you to move in healing of my body. He says, I can do more. God, I want you to reach Huntsville. I can do more. And Paul here, he's seeing the, the sovereign hand of God, that God is powerful, God is in control. He's, he's greater than, than the difficult season you may be going through. And Paul in prison awaiting his death he starts to realize the love of God and the power at work within him and it causes him to worship. So this morning, we're gonna end off with worship. And here's what, here's what I wanna ask you to do is as you worship, you might worship for a number of reasons. Maybe this morning you're worshiping because you're celebrating this truth. Your heart just fills up with the reality of the gospel and you can't but help and sing and say, God, I can't believe you're gonna do this work in me and through me. Jesus, you are amazing. Maybe this morning as you worship, you're worshiping as a way to remind your inner self to preach the gospel to your heart again. And you're worshiping as a way to say, God, my heart isn't there yet, but I know the truth and I wanna sing the truth to my heart. Maybe this morning for you, your worship is just an act of sacrifice. 
It says that we bring a sacrifice of praise. That, that means in the midst of the struggles of life. And, and for you, maybe you sit here and you think, man, I hear all this, I believe all this, but what's happening in my heart, what's happening in my life right now, it's so hard. And yet, yet I don't wanna, I don't wanna shrink back. I don't wanna not believe the truth of God's word. And so this morning, even though my heart's not there yet, I'm gonna, as an act of sacrifice, say, God, this is true. God, you are good and you only do good. God, your promises are true for my life right now. God, release that power in me.